Well, good morning. So I just want to uh, allow you guys some insider information. Uh, we are now approaching the uh, cold winter months, and so we thought we would kick it off and uh, help your bodies get acclimated to uh, the frigid Michigan weather. And so uh, the air conditioning has brought us down to about 30 degrees in the room today. So, you know, that, that was on purpose. No, just kidding. Uh, it was not. We, uh, we have a call in to uh, facilities for that, so we appreciate your patience enduring the, the cold temperatures uh, today. Uh, my name is Joey. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here. I want to say welcome to Vertical Life Church, and we're excited that you've spent, chosen to spend some time with us today. Uh, we are going to continue in our series in the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalms chapter 8 today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can navigate there. The verses will also be on the screen. We're going to look at several scriptures today, but mainly our main text and our key verses are going to be found in Psalms chapter 8. Now, since the moment we have been born, since the moment every human being in this planet has been born, we've been fighting for something. We've been fighting for love. Love. Love is the most basic but most essential need of every human being. God create us, created us as relational beings. He created us to desire to need love and to give love. And so from the moment we've been born, that's what we've been fighting for. Think of children and infants. There are studies that have shown that, uh, that children uh, cannot survive birth without love. Uh, they did a study a, a long time ago. Matter of fact, I think they attribute this to the, the Nazis in Germany, even uh, uh, back during the times of World War II. But they took these abandoned children, neglected children, in, a, in an orphanage, the newly born infants. Some got to have the affection and the touch of a mother or a uh, surrogate mother. Others were just left in the crib to uh, be fed from uh, a tube or some type of uh, feeding device. And the ones that were touched, the ones that were nurtured, survived. The ones that didn't, did not. They, they got sick, they got ill, and many of them died. And so even children, though we don't seem to think that they uh, receive love or, or understand love as we know it as adults or, or, uh, or those of us that are in our adolescent years, even children, newly born, have the very basic need for their survival for love. They need to love, that love that comes from a mother, not just for physical needs and for food, but for also emotional needs. Uh, the studies, uh, statisticians have, have uh, revealed to us that, that children that come from broken homes where, uh, you know, various different degrees, even those that are, are in orphanages, they tend to uh, have developmental issues that are different from the average child. Uh, uh, studies now show us that even the chemicals in their brain, because of this lack of nurture, this lack of love, don't develop like the average child. And so they actually have difficulties with social and emotional bonding, even having healthy relationships because of this lack of love. As children grow older, uh, and it's not just those that have been neglected or abandoned, but even those in broken homes where there's not both a father and a mother present. Sociologists have revealed to us that uh, children from broken homes tend to have a higher percentage of increase in antisocial behavior, like dropping out of high school, drug use, uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, uh, running away and homelessness. Even uh, a, a poll was done for those that were incarcerated, those that were guilty of heinous crimes. Most of them have come from homes where, both, where the father is not present. 
So not only do children need the love of their mother, they also need the love of their father. Not having that essential need, that essential uh, love that comes from both mom and dad is vital to our children even being able to be raised and grow up into healthy uh, adolescents, into children that will grow up to be productive members of society. That basic love of a mother and a father is so vital to our children. But just because you have a mom and a dad doesn't mean you're free from issues. Doesn't mean that at all. You know, we, as we grow up, even homes where there's a mother and a father, sometimes we grow up in homes that are highly critical. Homes that, where love is communicated in a way that is considered conditional love. Where you don't necessarily get praised or get that pat on the back or told, you know, add a boy or add a girl unless you rise above something that's just generally expected of you. Where everything you do is under a microscope and you're criticized for every way that you fall short, everything that you do wrong. And very rarely do your parents kind of nurture you with this environment of of love. And so if you grow up in a home like that where it's, even though you have a mother and a father present and it's highly critical, you're under that microscope, you can develop this sense of love becoming conditional. And what happens when you grow up with this understanding that love is conditional, you find yourself trying to do things or become something that you're not necessarily are in order to acquire that which you desperately desire, that you need at the core, and that's love. You see this all the time, especially as, as we grow up, we begin to grow into adolescence. You can see this in our young, our young kids. I remember uh, back when I was in middle school, you know, contrary to popular belief, I wasn't the most popular kid when I was younger. I know that's a shocker, right? You know, it was a shocker that, that I probably wasn't the most popular kid, but I wasn't. I didn't have a lot of friends. And, uh, and so I was picked on a lot, and I uh, was kind of a loner. But when I got to that point where I was so lonely, you know, when you're, when you're a child, you're especially your middle school age, you stop relying solely on the love of your parents, your family. You start venturing out on needing love from others, whether it be uh, friends or, or, or those of the opposite sex. And uh, as I was, you know, desiring this need to, to feel loved, to feel uh, accepted by my friends, I found myself willing to compromise my morals, to compromise things that my parents taught me were right, to, to do things that I knew were wrong, things that were going to get me in trouble, just so that I could feel that sense of love from my friends and be accepted. See, when you, when you feel like love is conditional, that you have to do things in order to receive it, you find yourself willing to compromise things that you hold dear or even believe to be true in order to acquire that. And this uh, continues on as you grow older into high school, when you begin dating and having relationships, even into marriage. When uh, I know so often that I, I hear stories and, and I talk to people and, and even things I've experienced in my own marriage, my own life, where you, know, you feel like if you don't perform, if you don't do things a certain way, that you might be abandoned, you might be neglected, you might be rejected. So this feeling of conditional love doesn't just affect children or, or adolescents. It even continues on into adulthood. This desire to feel loved affects us at every stage. And many of us wrestle with this concept of conditional love. And the big problem with conditional love is that it fosters fear in our lives. Fear that makes us self-conscious. Fear that encourages feelings of inadequacy. This constant feeling that we're not good enough. 
feelings of unworthiness. It robs us of confidence, even that, that confidence to be able to go out and try something new, to chase after our goals and dreams. Fear that holds us back from our true potential, simply because we have grown up with this understanding that love is conditional. And it doesn't just affect our relationships with other people. It also, importantly, affects our faith when we believe love is conditional. It affects our relationship with God. You see, a conditional love mentality is the fast track of being trapped in religion. And I know it's kind of hard to think of this concept because many times when you talk about faith out there in the world, people will ask you a question. They'll say, well, what religion are you? You know, they'll say, what religion are you? And, and what they're asking is, do you go to a Baptist church? Do you go to a Catholic church? Do you go to a Methodist church? What, you know, are you, are you Buddhist? Are you Muslim? You know, what religion are you? And that's common in our culture. But there's a difference between being in a religion and having a relationship with God. There's a difference. A religion is something where you follow a set of rules to become okay with God. A relationship with God is like being married to a spouse. There's, there's communication. There, there's uh, um, interaction. God works and moves in your life. And this idea that Love is conditional that we must perform in order to be uh, accepted by God leads to a life of religion. Think about it for a minute. Think about this for a minute. How do you feel when you forget to pray before meals? Or how do you feel whenever you miss a Sunday service? Maybe you accidentally slept in or you just weren't really feeling it that day. How do you feel when you forget to read your Bible or pray? Or maybe on a more serious note, how do you feel when you watch something you know you probably shouldn't be watching? Or you do something with someone who's not your spouse that you know you shouldn't be doing? Or you go someplace with your friends and you know you shouldn't go there and you wake up the next morning hung over after parting too hard, and you realize, ah, that was not a good decision. How do you feel about you and your relationship with God? Do you feel like God is happy with you or unhappy with you? You see, more often than not, if we're considering God's holiness and his perfection, and we compare it to our sinfulness, the mistakes that we make, too often we feel like God is perpetually unhappy with us. Because we keep failing. And it leads us to walk around in guilt and shame. And it gives us this sense that if we want God to be happy with us, if we want him to love us, then we've got to do something about it. We've got to stop being bad and we have to start being good. And so we try to overcompensate for our failures by doing all of the religious things we've been taught to do our whole lives. If I just do that, then God will accept me. If I just pray enough, if I just serve enough, if I give enough money in the offering plate, if I stop swearing, if I stop watching that show or listening to that kind of music, if I read my Bible just a little bit more each day because I missed yesterday, if I make up for all the areas that I failed, then God will like me. He'll love me. And we think this way because we have deeply rooted in our hearts, infused deep down inside of us that love is conditional. And because we believe love is conditional, we believe that God's love too is conditional. 
Psalm 144, verse 15, the psalmist writes this. He says, joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. And I believe this with my whole heart. Joyful are those whose God is the Lord. We have something to be joyful about. But if Jesus is our God, and we're supposed to be joyful because he is our God, then why do we walk around so often with heavy hearts? We walk around so burdened and so heavy-hearted all the time. If Christians are supposed to be the most joyful people on the planet, why do we walk around like God is mad at us all of the time? That God doesn't want us around. Or that maybe he loves everyone else, but not us. Because at the core, we believe God's love is conditional. We have to earn it. And we haven't done enough to earn it. And that's a depressing and negative reality. Walking around, constantly trying to earn God's love. You see, man's love is conditional. Man's love is conditional. We do this all the time. Someone doesn't treat us right, what do we want to do? We want to cast them out of our lives. We want to push them away. We want to hold that standard over their head. We want to make sure they understand how hard or they hurt us or how heavy they uh, attacked us and how deep the pain is. And until they realize that and make up for everything they've done, we keep them at a distance. Man's love is conditional. But that concept that God's love is conditional is a falsehood. It's a lie from our enemy. It's a projection of our own human experience onto the divine nature of God. It is not the truth. God's love isn't conditional. And you cannot earn it by how well you perform. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, says this. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. He's saying God's love, his salvation, his grace, his goodness towards you is a gift. Salvation is a gift. When you go to someone's birthday party, you bring a what? A gift. Did they earn the gift? No, they just had a birthday. So you give them the gift. It's not something they had to earn. And here through, uh, through Apostle Paul, he's saying God's salvation, his love, his goodness towards us is a gift. Uh, through the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, God reveals to us that our good deeds are worthless compared to God's holiness. Even compares them to filthy rags. Here Paul is saying to the Ephesians that there isn't enough good we can do in all of the world to earn God's gift, to earn his love. You can't perform well enough. You are incapable of earning his love. So how is salvation possible for us then? How do we receive it if we can't earn it? Why did the Father send his Son into the world to, be sa to save us? Well, the answer is found in John 3.16. He says what? For God, so what? Loved the world. We all know this verse by heart. You can't graduate kindergarten Sunday school without learning John 3.16. We all know this verse. And if you've never been to church, you've never read this, you saw um, makeshift like options or, or, or variations of this if you watched uh, wrestling. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin had Austin 3.16. You know, so th this is something even people who are far from God have heard before. You know, they, they, they use this verse as uh, sometimes a way to even mock Christians. This verse is a very 
popular and famous verse. I'm sure at some point in your life you've heard this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Newsflash today, church. You are the world. You are the world. And God so loved you that he sent Jesus into the world so that he could give you this gift of salvation. That means God loved you in the mess of your sinfulness. He loved you in the midst of your failures and your shortcomings. Paul said to the church of Rome that all of us have sinned and come short. We've fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person in here righteous enough to earn God's love. And so guess what? He gave us a gift because we couldn't earn it. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14, the psalmist writes this. It says, he does not punish us for all of our sins. We can shout amen right there for that first verse. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. God's love is far beyond what we could even imagine. And God loved you before you even knew his name. God loved you before you even knew what he did for you. He loved you before you even responded to his offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. And he loves you now, knowing that you're going to struggle with sin and fall to temptations in the world. He loves you because he knows we are only dust. We are only dust. We are insignificant specks in the expanse of the universe. Think how big the universe is. Think how large space and, and everything that he's ever created is. And then think about how little we are compared to that. And he still loves us. It's because God's love isn't conditional. His love is unconditional. He accepts everyone who turns to Jesus in faith. Romans 7, 24 through 8, 1 says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. This is Paul lamenting over his sin. He says, Who will free me from this life that it's dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, how it is, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're all in the same boat. We all struggle with the same sin. Thank God we've all been given the same gift in Jesus Christ. It was God's love that made salvation possible. It was God's love that made salvation applicable. And it's his love that makes salvation unconditional. And why we wrestle with this is not only because of our own experiences with love and how we treat each other on this earth. It's not just our unhealthy souls that are damaged by the pain and suffering we experience in this world. But I think many times we take for granted who God is. We take for granted who God really is. Our main text today is Psalm chapter 8. 
And in Psalm 8, David writes this in the first couple of verses. He says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. This word majestic in verse 1 can also be translated excellent, mighty, or famous. In other words, David is saying here that God, you are so great, there is none that compares to you. God, you are so great, there's nothing in all of creation that could be considered your rival or your equal. Even the praises on the mouth of babes is strong enough to silence your fiercest foe. God, you are that great. God is great. This is why we sing to him. Because he's great. Our praises turn our attention to the greatness of our God. It's not just because it sounds good in a song. But because it reminds us of how big, how strong, how mighty our God is. Our God is great. Let's think about that for a moment. Let's take a moment to really dwell on the greatness of our God. I want you to sing this together with me. Thinking of how great God is, sing this. The splendor of the King. Clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. Sing it, church. He wraps himself in light, in darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, it trembles at his voice. Do you believe that? How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will sing how great and how great is our God. Sing how great. Let's focus on His greatness. Come on. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. It's all a sing how great, how great is our God. You are great, God. In the name above all names, you are In 
great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will sing how great and how great is our God. Do you believe he's great in this place today? Do you believe he's excellent and worthy of our praise in this place? We serve a big and mighty and awesome God whose name is above every other name. Scripture says one day every nation, every tribe is going to bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The name above every other name. The name whose salvation has been made possible through. Our God is a mighty and awesome God. And we sing his praises so we do, don't lose sight of this fundamental truth that our God is our maker, our creator, the creator of heaven and of earth. He's bigger and stronger than words can describe. He's more amazing than our minds can imagine. And we, when we look up to the sky and we see all that he's made, the glory of the heavens reveals his greatness. They tell of the greatness of our God. They tell how insignificant we are compared to his glory and his power. They tell of how insignificant our problems are compared to how mighty and how great he is. The heavens don't just declare his greatness in comparison to how insignificant we are. But they also tell of how significant his love is towards us. Look what David says here in verse 3, Psalm chapter 8. He says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. He asks a fundamental question. Verse 4, he says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Who are you? Who am I that this great God should think about me? Who are human beings that you should care for them? Think about that with all that you are in this place today. Think about how great, how awesome, how holy, how righteous he is, and how small and how weak and how sinful you are, and yet he loves you. He loves you. God loves you with everything he is. It makes no sense to our conditional love minds. It makes no sense. But yet he loves us so much. And he loves us so much that he has even given us authority over everything he created. Look at the mountains. Think of the oceans. Look at the trees and every creeping thing that is on the earth that reveals the glory of our God. And yet he has given it to you. Verse 5 of Psalms chapter 8. David says, you made them a little lower than God. He crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks of the herds, all the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea, everything that swims, the ocean currents. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic your name fills the earth. That just blows my mind. God makes everything good. And looking through the portals of time sees how we screw it all up. And he gives it to us anyways. He looks at how sinful we become. And he sends Jesus anyways. 
That is unconditional love. You see, it's not our performance that gives us right standing with God. It's his love for us that gives us right standing with God. That means we don't have to fear being abandoned and rejected by him for failing or making a mistake. Because he is right there to help us back up to our feet. That means he doesn't discipline us or correct us or withhold blessings from us because he's angry with us or hates us or wants to punish us for all of our sin. No, his uh, correction, his punishment for our sin was placed on Jesus Christ. Think about that. Our punishment's been paid. Jesus' sacrifice was strong enough and sufficient enough to pay for all sin for all time. All those who are in Christ Jesus have their sins forgiven for all time. God corrects us so that we keep moving in the direction of his will. The direction that leads to the abundant life that his love provides. Romans chapter 8, 39, 38 through 39, Paul says this. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death or life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. No powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because his love is unconditional. The core concept of this message today, it's very simple. It's this, it's that when you realize how big God is, you'll understand how significant it is to be loved by him. When you realize how big God is, you'll understand how significant it is to be loved by him. If conditional love breeds self-consciousness, if it breeds fear of abandonment, feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness, if conditional love makes us feel like we got to become something in order to receive something, then unconditional love should breed within us a faith that cannot be shaken, a confidence that cannot be rocked, because our God's love is unconditional. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power of love and discipline. When we understand who we are in Jesus Christ and what his love is for us, we will not be afraid of what the enemy can throw at us. You see, we chase after God's will, not because we want to earn his love, church. It's because we're already loved by him. And we are free to run without fear of failing. We love God not to get his love. We love him because he first loved us. And when we know we can't lose his love, we'll have a sense of security that will free us to pursue his will for our lives without fear of being condemned when we fail. It's not his anger or his wrath that keeps us from sin. No, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness that is intended to turn you from your sin? God wants you to know that his love for you is unconditional. You don't have to be afraid to approach him. You don't have to be afraid to to come bowing before him when you've made a mistake because he's there with open arms ready to hold you and embrace you in the shadow of his wings. 
It's the kindness and love of God that motivates us to stay on the right path because we know his intentions towards us are good. His plans for us are good. They're to prosper us in all we do, to give us a future and a hope. You see, so much of the church has been turned into this idea that we have to pretend that we are something we are not, that we have to pretend that we're good because if someone finds out, we're going to be kicked out, shunned, or cast away, because that's what man's love is. It's condition. It says, you must become something before I give you something. And God's love says, I love you as you are. Because it's through my love that I'm going to be able to lead you to become who I created you to be. And that is a mirror of my son, Jesus Christ. He predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. He's not content with us staying as we are because he has so far greater plans for us than who we are right now. His plans are to lead us into the fulfillment of his purpose for our lives. Jesus said the sick need a doctor, not the well. And all of us have come as the sick to the cross. And it's through the love of Christ that we can find the cure for our souls. It's out of a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness for the love of God that we praise him and that we tell others about his greatness. For our God's love, his unfailing, unending, never giving up on us love is unconditional love. Questions I have for you to think through today, to discuss at the table of your homes around lunch or in your small groups is this. Number one, how have you been viewing God's love? Have you been viewing God's love as conditional or unconditional? And how has that affected your faith? Your willingness to step out to follow God? Number two, in what ways have you been trying to earn his love? How have you been trying to get on God's good side by the way you've been acting? And number three, what have you been afraid to do in obedience to God's will for fear of rejection inadequacy, or failure? What's been holding you back? And what have you been holding yourself back from because of this misunderstanding of God's love for you? As we close today, I'm just going to invite you to go into a time of prayer. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around in this place today. We just get still before God. The praise team is going to play. I want to invite everyone in this room today those of you that have walked into this place with heavy burdens and sick souls, those of you that have been struggling with the idea that, that God loves you no matter what, that you don't have to fear being abandoned by God because his love is unconditional. You wrestle with that because you can't rationalize that kind of love in your mind. You see all your failures, you see all your mistakes, and you still can't bring yourself to believe that God's happy with you, that he loves you, and he has great plans for you. Those of you that are wrestling and, and struggling, I'm going to invite you to the next few moments just to take time to come before God. You can come down to the front of the stage and make this an old-fashioned altar and, and pray before him. But I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray just as you are to lay yourself down at the throne of grace where we've been promised to find the help that we need. To cast your fears on the Lord. To cast your insecurities on the Lord to cast your feelings of inadequacy on the Lord, to cast your failures on the Lord. 
and just rest in his grace. Just let his love wash over you today in this place. To let the understanding that because of the cross of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, and your faith in Jesus, that you are right with God. That you've been given a gift that you could not earn. And his love for you will never end. Maybe you're here today and you've never begun a relationship with God. There's never been a time in your life where you have prayed and called out to Jesus and, and asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You feel that brokenness deep down in your life. You feel this hole in your heart that nothing else you've pursued or gotten yourself involved in has been able to fill. You still feel this hole in your heart. You've been searching for something, but you couldn't put your finger on it. I'm here to tell you today that nothing can fill that hole other than the love of our great God. And that love comes to you through placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And right now, where you are, you can begin to fill that hole just by praying this prayer with me. Just repeating these words out loud to, to God as a prayer from your heart. Just say, Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins and come live in my heart. I place my faith and trust in you today. I place my faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I claim Jesus as my Lord today. Take me, Lord. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Just a simple prayer of faith like that can begin the transformation of a lifetime, taking you from death to life, from lost to found, from blind to be able to have new sight, to see who you are in Christ, to begin to be washed by the blood of the Lamb as His love washes over you. And we invite you today to pray that prayer and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever has been plaguing your heart today, whatever has been weighing your soul down, as we begin to sing, I invite you to stand where you are. Those that need to come forward and pray, come and bow before the Lord. And let's just make this time a time where you respond to his love in this place. Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray for the broken. I pray for the wounded. I pray for the scarred. God, I pray for the heavy-hearted. God, I pray for the, the one who has been living a life filled with pain because of what others have done to them. God, I pray for the one that's been believing lies about their worth and their value because of what others have spoken into their life. God, I pray for the Christian that's grown up in church that has made religion their faith, not relationship their faith. God, that they would recognize how they've been trying to earn what they cannot earn. And that today they would lay that all down and just rest in your love to rest in who they are as a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I pray for the church today that healing would commence as your love flows down in this place. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, you come.